Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Big tech goes to Washington. Peter Hassan from The Daily Caller is here on The Charlie Kirk Show with insightful analysis on what happened in the hearings. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, they were all there. They answered questions from our lawmakers. Please consider supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Please become a monthly supporter if you can at charliekirk.com slash support. Big episode in store. Big tech was in D.C. We have the insight and analysis for you. Buckle up. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this special episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. I am joined by Peter Hassan. Uh, He's the executive, he's investigative editor at the Daily Caller News Foundation. He's also the author of The Manipulators, a critically acclaimed book exposing big tech's biases against conservatives. Well, we're going to be talking about that primarily today. Peter, first of all, welcome to The Charlie Kirk Show. Absolutely, Charlie. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. So there was a little bit of a hearing that happened today. We had the biggest companies on the planet when it comes to tech and overall testifying in front of the house for, I, I caught snippets of it and I caught bits and pieces. I was traveling today, caught the top line highlights, but for our listeners that didn't get a chance to watch the uninterrupted, uh, let's just say procession of near multi-trillion dollar companies telling us how they've never done anything wrong. Give us the highlights, give us the takeaways and let's dive into some of the policy uh, implications. Yeah, well, so one of the most important things that this hearing did is at least forced these uh, CEOs of the world's most powerful tech companies to at least go on the record about uh, about you know hot topic issues, um, you know, such as you know, are, are you are your supply chains dependent on slave labor? Are you discriminating uh, against conservatives? Um, and so that really is something that hasn't happened enough. Is these companies being forced to answer uh, answer these important questions? And so, uh, uh, to, to to me, it was it was kind of a, a uh, um, uh, it, was, it was kind of an interesting hearing in that you know there were almost different avenues you could see lawmakers going down, and a lot of the uh, uh, um, Democratic lawmakers were were you know focused highly on you know labor issues and, and things like that. And you, uh, Jerry Nadler went on this whole tangent about how 
oh, Facebook and Google are hurting journalism, and which of course is his way of, of you know doing a favor for his friends in the media. Um, uh, and then, but you also had a, a decent number of conservatives who really held these companies' feet to the fire over important questions. I thought uh, Congressman Matt Gates of Florida, who has been a very outspoken voice um, uh, uh, about these important issues of um, antitrust, uh, political bias, you know, being embedded with China, he, he's been kind of at, at the forefront of all of these issues. So he really had a, a standout hearing, as he often does, um, in terms of forcing these companies to uh, address uh, uh, address these important issues. And to me, what I thought was was a really uh, a really uh, um, telling moment was uh, all of these CEOs were asked um, if they would admit that China is stealing technology from American companies, which is just a fact. Everybody, anybody who knows anything about tech or about China, and especially mm-hmm. both, knows that that is the case. And what was really telling was that only one, and Mark Zuckerberg, who, who isn't a particularly courageous person, but Mark Zuckerberg was the one CEO to say, yeah, of course they are. And Jeff Bezos, you know, Sundar Pincha would not would not admit that. And that really tells you all you need to know because they're really more interested in coddling the Chinese Communist Party than they are yeah. in telling the truth. That's a great point. So let's just make sure I get the actors correct. We had Tim Cook, Bezos, the guy from Google, who I can't pronounce his name, and I don't want to mispronounce it, um, and then Mark Zuckerberg. Is that right? Yes, yes, that is okay. correct. And of those four, Mark Zuckerberg was the only one to uh, you know, point out that the emperor had no clothes. Well, that's good for him. I, I give him credit for that. He has been spoken against, outspoken against China. But let's put him in the hot seat. Was there any conversation around censorship of dissident voices, people that don't subscribe to the I hate America always, there is no God orthodoxy. Yeah, and that's, you know, that is something that uh, conservative lawmakers, uh, you know, uh, Jim Jordan did a good job pressing Mark Zuckerberg about Facebook. Uh, Matt Gates always does a good job uh, on that. Um, and there, there were a handful of others, uh, uh, Congressman Buck, uh, Congressman Stubbe, um, uh, who, who did hold his feet to the fire on that. And it was telling that his, his, his go-to was always to dodge. Um, so at one point, Mark Zuckerberg was asked, you know, um, uh, does Facebook have ideological diversity among its content moderators? Which should be a really easy question to answer. And it, you know, you'd hope the answer would be yes, because it's, they have so much power, Facebook's content moderators do. Um, and yet he couldn't answer the question. He kept dodging and dodging and dodging. Um, and so it, it was really telling. And also, um, I thought Congressman Stubb made a, a, uh, a, he had a noteworthy anecdote where he was saying he was you know, trying to access Gateway Pundit's website um, through Google. And regardless of whether you like Gateway Pundit or hate Gateway Pundit, it's a really telling anecdote where he was saying that he was trying to access their website just by typing Gateway Pundit into Google from his computer in the Capitol. And he couldn't find them. They would not show up. And then after the hearing was announced, he tried it again. And the second time, of course, he was able to find them because once they know people are watching them, then they try to, you know, cover their butts a bit. And that, that really is one of the reasons that, you know, 
these oversight hearings are, are so important because uh, it at least forces them to pretend, you know, even, even if for a, like a short period of time, it forces them to at least try to pretend like they're doing the right things. That's a great point. I, I am kind of confused why a Democrat-led Congress was able to pull this off. And that's interesting. I mean, this is the first time we've seen all these four oligarchs together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we've had sometimes we've had one or the other, but this was the first time we've had all four of them. Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's an interesting point. I, I have a question on that, Peter. So, was there any conversation about the recent censorship around the the virus and hydroxychloroquine? Or was that not, was that topic just kind of avoided? Yeah, no, there were um, a, a number of, of, of GOP congressmen who who brought that up, and they made the point that look, it's not about whether you you know uh, think someone should take it or whether you you don't think they should take it. The point is that these big tech companies, you know, the, these Silicon Valley oligarchs without medical degrees, are censoring people who do have medical degrees and are, are giving their opinion based on you know, their expertise and what they've learned on this crucially important topic. And it, it was, was really telling that they just kept uh, falling back to the same old, you know, like, well, we don't want to promote misinformation, and so that's what we're doing. But it's misinformation according to whom? According to these left-wing hacks out in San Francisco. And that is really just so telling. Uh, about how these companies approach everything is, is it's only misinformation if it's misinformation that the, the left or if it's information that the left doesn't like. Um, and if it's genuine misinformation that helps people on the left, they don't count that as misinformation at all. And same thing with, you know, quote unquote hate speech is, you know, it's not, it's not hate speech if the left wingers like it. And I thought that was really telling just throughout the hearing is all these, these, you know, oligarchs, as you correctly called them, uh, pretending like they don't have real political bias issues at their companies. As I point out in my book, I, I document it thoroughly, uh, that th- these are real problems across the board. You know, one example I cite in the book is, you know, Google employees um, are, are more comfortable with colleagues who openly support Antifa than they are with colleagues who are conservatives. And there are Google employees who use company resources to organize anti-Trump resistance protests. But of course, if they even know you're a conservative, they're, they're coming for your head. And I, that's, these are the kind of people that, we're, that conservatives are, are up against, are the, the, the people who only see the world through, through a single lens in which they're right, conservatives are wrong, and you're a hateful person who doesn't deserve to, to speak if you disagree with them. And that, that is who is running the world's most powerful companies. And it really has far-reaching impact for politics and for people who don't agree with the mainstream, or not even the mainstream view, people who just disagree with the elite view. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know that's something where oftentimes the elite view is... is out of touch with the, the majority of the American people, but because that they control the tech companies and the mainstream media, they decide that we can't air that. And I thought, you know, to, to kind of jump off the, the tech 
uh, discussion for a second. Tom Cotton's op-ed was a great example of that, which he articulated a view that was supported by the majority of Americans. And you had, you know, of the elites and media and politics say, oh, no, how dare somebody say this? And it, it's the same phenomenon in, in tech, in which case, if you have people state obvious facts that the majority of Americans agree with, if, they, if the left-wingers who run these companies don't like it, they're going to shut you up. And, and so it really is just such a crucial fight. And I'm, I'm glad that you know, a lot of uh, uh, conservatives are really starting to wake up to it, because at a certain point, it's going to be too late. That's well said, Peter. And so was there conversation around the Sherman Antitrust Act and breaking up these companies? Uh, you know, there, there was, a, you know, not really. And I, I think that's kind of telling about how uh, kind of uh, it really is. You know, I think, think there's a problem with, with uh, Washington politicians being so in bed with, uh, uh, with, these tech companies that, you know, sometimes we'll mention things in passing and, but the, they aren't really, they aren't really caring about it. Um, uh, and, and, and a lot of that is because you have to look at who their donors are. Um, and, you know, if, if Google's a donor to you, if Google employees are, are donating to you, you're a lot more likely to turn a blind eye to the abuses that these companies um, are, are, are so clearly, you know, we're so clearly carrying out at a daily basis. Peter, were there any people that were involved that were funded by Google politically? Uh, well, you know, Jim Jordan uh, uh, has, you know, he, he's uh, uh, received money from Google of, uh, in the past. And that's so it was interesting that he was toughest on Facebook and Twitter, um, which, you know, I've, you can draw your own conclusions, but it, it was noteworthy that he was really toughest on those companies, and he didn't really touch the antitrust angles um, of, of uh, the antitrust, you know, problems with respect to Google. Which I mean, the which it, it's it's kind of an interesting thing that there there are are multiple problems with Google. There there are the political bias problems. And then there are also the antitrust problems because yeah. they're, they're so big, they're a m- m- monopoly. And so they really would like conservatives to only talk about the political bias issues and not the, the antitrust issues. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of telling which Republicans are, are only willing to talk about bias, which is important. I wrote a whole book about it. It's so important. But but the the other you know the other part of that is is that Google has a monopoly and and the reason that bias is so important is because they have a monopoly and so you know it, it's in some ways it's kind of a shame that the uh, hearing was in the House not in the Senate because I know a lot of people would have loved to see uh, Josh Hawley uh, really put these uh, tech CEOs on their heels by asking them all these uh, important questions. These companies have super governmental sovereign power. And one thing that people like you and Tucker have been railing on correctly is what is the line of saying we're going to break them up? And if you say that line doesn't exist, then just make your position clear. Just say then we should repeal the Sherman Antitrust Act. 
And I don't, be- I don't believe that. I don't. And I think that we as conservatives, we talk about how we love freedom. We talk about how we love liberty. But we don't talk about how that freedom and liberty could ever possibly be infringed upon by something other than government. And I think it's mostly government that does that. I, I don't like the government, obviously. I built a whole movement around that. But what happens if a private company becomes more powerful than your government? And uh, that's where I really wrestle with that. And if that private company starts acting like, you know, an Argentinian dictatorship from the 1960s and wants to, you know, put dissidents in prison, you know, political prisoners and kick them off the platform, what do you do? So I guess, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point. And that's disappointing that some people would take money from Google. I think it's inexcusable. Um, and I guess people can draw their own conclusions there. Any, any comments on that, Peter? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think it's you know, important to note that there are some people kind of on the right who act like, you know, no one's ever allowed to criticize corporations because, you know, free market. But, but that's not at all the case. If you look at the, the conservative tradition, you can trace the back. There's always been you know, this skepticism of power wherever power is. That's um, exactly you know, right. Even Abraham even Abraham Lincoln in this uh, 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 in you know in 1864 expressed his concern that corporations uh, would have too much power. You know, he uh, I've got the quote in front of me. He said, uh, "I see in the near future a crisis approaching that unnerves me and causes state of country." Uh, you know, goes on to say, "Corporations in, in this future." He's He's concerned about it. He says corporations, you know, if they become enthroned, then corruption will always follow. Um, and and that's that's really what we see when you have these these companies that are so large, uh, because they're so powerful. And we all know that when someone has too much power, it tends to corrupt them. T- tends to corrupt those yeah. around them. And that's what we've seen here. So let's dive deeper into that, Peter. Why is that the conservative movement is so? let's say, convinced of fundamentalist market dogma? Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, if you look at the think tanks who, who kind of tend to set the tone for a lot of the, the um, for a lot of the, you know, establishment of GOP. Uh, if you look at where their money comes from, well, if, you, if you're taking money from, you're probably a lot less likely to say, well, maybe these, you know, corporations deserve skepticism as well as the government. Um, I I think another part of that is because the left has gone so far just overboard. It's now you have people embracing, you know, you have their most prominent party members like AOC embracing socialism. I think a lot of Republicans have kind of walked into this trap where they think if you criticize corporations at all, then you're you're the same as you know AOC, or that because uh, the left is so you know um, that you really have to that you therefore have to worship everything corporations do, um, and so that that really is kind of how we've gotten to this point. Um, and it, 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 it's kind of long overdue for correction uh, because so much of the uh, just so much of the mainstream republicanism is, is to say that if business is doing it, then it's OK with us. 
And it, that, that really is not where, uh, that's, that's kind of a, uh, it, it's a manipulation of what, what conservatism is, which is, you know, at its heart, a skepticism of, of power where it's solid. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And we love liberty and we hate anyone who infringes upon it. And mostly that kind of liberty would be infringed upon by a governmental bureaucracy, but not limited to that. And I think that's a great point. So um, can you can you talk about any takeaways from this hearing as far as policy implications, major winners and losers, promises that they made that need to be followed up upon? Because what ends up happening at all these hearings, this happened with the Zuckerberg hearing about two years ago. He's like, I'll have to get back to you. I'll have to get back to you. I'll have to get back to you. And he basically never did. So can, can you fill us in on that? Yeah, so that was honestly the number one phrase that we heard. <laughs> Again, I, I, caught, I caught the highlights, but I just could imagine. That, but by the way, they're trained to do that. They're trained by their $6,000 an hour attorneys. Just say you'll get back to them and then we'll just put everything in writing. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of amazing that you called that because... Uh, that's that's exactly what, what, what they, they did throughout the hearing. It's like, well, you know, uh, I don't know the specifics of that, but all of my staff follow up. And, and, and what's amazing, Peter, before you continue, how can you be a CEO and not know that? I mean, it's just like, I mean, at what point are you able to defer blame? I, anyway, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. Well, because you think you would know what's going on in your own company, right? <laughs> in theory, if you're the, one of the most powerful people in the world, running one of the most powerful companies in the world, but you apparently have no idea what your company does. It's kind of hard to believe. Uh, but so, so, so that's kind of something where, uh, you know, especially on political bias, uh, there was a lot of, well, we'll follow up with you on that. And that's something where, you know, Republican politicians are really going to have to demand that these, uh, uh, they're really going to publicly call out and, uh, these companies if if and when they don't follow up or, or give, you know, a, a BS answer. Um. I will say honestly, I, I, I think you know, um, you know, a lot of the Democratic politicians seemed eager to kind of defend these tech companies from charges of political bias, and I th- think in in that respect, I think that's one reason the tech companies kind of emerged from this doing all right because they know that the Democratic politicians will defend them. As long as the, they slant these platforms towards Democratic politicians, um, and so so really the the uh, the oligarchs honestly I, I think when when you know it was nowhere near as bad for them as as it could have been. Um, yeah. I, I will say though I, I don't think Facebook was a winner here, but I think everybody but Facebook definitely lost by just blatantly lying uh, under oath about how China is stealing technology. Can you, uh, yeah, was there any conversation by any of the Republicans about the leaked video from Google where they said they're going to do whatever it takes to defeat Donald Trump again, that we saw thanks to Breitbart? Or or was there any conversation on how Breitbart doesn't show up in Google search results? Yeah, yeah, that came up. And and I'm sure you can predict what happened, which was the usual hand waving. And uh, like, well, you know, sometimes employees go rogue and uh, uh, things like that, and uh, uh, Jim Jordan actually brought up, and again, he focuses on political bias, but not antitrust. But it's good that he does at least talk about bias. 
Uh, he brought up that they had talked about, uh, that Google employees had talked about in these leaked emails, how they had, had um, really just admitted that they were kind of a silent vote for Hillary Clinton. And he said, you know, how, how do we know that that's not going to happen again in 2020? Which, of course, it will. Um, and the Google CEO basically said, well, you know, I'm not sure you know, kind of what, what you're talking about. But, you know, we're, we're unbiased and kind of just skirted around the question. Um, and so, you know, there was kind of some talk of that. And, and s- several of the GOP committee members did bring up the fact that, you know, conservative uh, websites have been targeted by Google. And again, the answer was always like, well, you know, these are glitches. These employees went rogue. We, you know, we would never do that intentionally. But of course, they, they absolutely do. And I talk about in my book, The Manipulators, how uh, you know, I obtained these internal documents where Google employees, like a few days after the election, are already talking about how do we, how do we keep this from happening again? And their answer was to, to bury conservative sites in, in Google search. Because if people can't find them, people aren't going to be able to read them. People aren't going to be able to be convinced by them. Um, and, and the Google VP was part of that conversation. So this idea that, oh, the only people that ever go rogue are these, you know, bottom tier uh, people is just absurd because it really is uh, from the VPs on down, a whole culture dedicated towards, uh, you know, enforcing their left wing view on the world. And what's also telling and the re- one of the reasons Google Google really really wants Joe Biden to win is because, and you can look this up, is Google had a massive revolving door with the Obama administration. It was really, really corrupt that you'd have people go from Google to the the Obama administration back to Google. uh, And they know that that cozy relationship is going to, to just pick up right back where they left off if Joe Biden wins. And Google is going to be in the White House and the, the, you know, People from the White House are going to be heading over to, to, to Google after a year or two, and it's going to be a really cozy relationship that that's great for uh, Google, great for Obama, uh, for Biden bureaucrats, and really so great for your average American who, who wants to be treated fairly. There should be something illegal about that. I really believe that if you're a senior administration official, it should be part of your compact that you have to go do I don't know, community service for five years or something, and you can't be employed. I guess no one would want those jobs, but maybe the good people would because they actually would do it for the right reasons. I don't know. I'd call me a radical. Uh, tell, tell us about TikTok. I think that it should be banned from our country. It's a CCP infiltration to get our children data mined by the, the communist dictators. Tell us about TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is just a a tool of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and it, it's dangerous for a number of reasons. One, because um, you can, you can I would bet my, both of my arms, because it's what's, what's happening, that the Communist Party is just, is just hoovering up that data that, that TikTok uh, 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 absorbs from its users. And TikTok uh, mines way more data. As, as bad as Facebook, Google, and Twitter are, TikTok mines way more data. Yeah. And they send it straight to the CCP. Um, and then the, the other threat that TikTok poses is that you essentially have the CCP 
acting as like the news aggregator for America's teens. And so it's not surprising that, you know, a lot of these riots and things like that, they get tons of momentum on TikTok. Because you know, when you have the Communist Party choosing what your 18-year-old or 16-year-old sees, perhaps it's not surprising that he ends up turning out to be an anti-American radical who hates his country. Um, and so it really, TikTok is just, a, just an enormous threat, both long-term, short-term, medium-term. Um, and what's really staggering is how the mainstream media outlets aren't interested in holding them accountable. Um, you look at the Washington Post, they have sunk, you know, the, the Washington Post owned by Jeff Bezos. They have yeah. devoted a ton of resources towards building their platform on TikTok. And so all of their incentives are to not undermine TikTok, but to build it up because they're, they're bringing in page views from TikTok. Um, and you, then you look at the New York Times, of course, they have this uh, joke of a reporter named Taylor Lawrence, who her whole job is basically just to write on what the, the teens are doing. I, I jokingly call her like the New York Times teen reporters. Um, and Really, and it's the same phenomenon there because her whole job is to, to pretend to explain to adults what the teens are doing on TikTok. And so where the hard-hitting journalism would be to say, well, why is TikTok behaving the way it does? What are the threats posed by it? Her personal self-interest is to be a, a shield for, for TikTok and to say, no, everything is great. And that's what we've seen is she has really... Uh, just hand waved away all these concerns, and she's accused people of xenophobia and uh, you know racism for criticizing TikTok. Which you know, I mean, tell that to to the the Muslims that China is playing in concentration camps. It really is just so absurd that criticizing China makes you xenophobic when China is literally, literally the most racist country on the face of the earth. And there are too many people in mainstream media who just really aren't interested in uh, holding TikTok's feet to the fire or even like pretending like it's an actual problem. But it really is. And it's a problem now, as we see with like these riots, because TikTok is definitely pouring fuel onto the fire. But imagine in 10 years, you have 10 years of American youth just being fed this propaganda on a day to day basis. It, it's going to be really dangerous for our country. If you think our youth hate America now, far too many of them do. Imagine how, like, how how angry. Yeah. In ten years. I have a question. So, people say there's a lot of conservatives on TikTok. Is that true? I, I don't go on. By the way, I just have to say I was introduced to TikTok 18 months ago. I find it to be a repulsive platform. Aesthetically, it's all a bunch of garbage and teenagers and. Nothing interests me. I just think it's it's not my style. And I'm not trying to insult anyone listening to this that enjoys that. So God be with you. But are there conservatives on there? Because we get a lot of emails that say, you don't understand. There's a lot of conservatives here, like, I, I guess. I mean, yeah, maybe a few and maybe like in terms of content consuming, not so much in terms of uh, content creation. And even to the extent that there are, that's still playing the game on you know, the Chinese Communist Party's terms. Um, uh, because at the end of the day, you're feeding them your data, you're encouraging people to use this dangerous platform. And to kind of go off of what you 
we're saying. It really is just kind of an awful platform and that it's kind of mindless, content-free. Yeah. Dancing. Exactly right. And then the only content you get is like, well, now here's a snippet of anti-American, you know, uh, 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 propaganda. And now back to the mindless dancing. And here's a little snippet of propaganda. I I have a curveball question. You might not know the answer. I'm trying to figure out why Bezos would be favorable to China. They shut down Chinese operations. Alibaba hates them. Um, what what is what am I missing here? Is it because of all the cheap plastic they sell on their website that no one really needs? That is made in slave labor camps. What 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 am I missing? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think for a lot of these uh, uh, tech CEOs, it, it's that you know they are at least they're, they're salivating at being able to enter the market, the Chinese market, even if they aren't in there right now. Um, and so even just yeah. kind of like, the, like winning the lottery point. is, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of the, the, you know, carrot you're hanging in front of the donkey. That's like, well, it's right around the corner. Just be more sympathetic to us. Well, yeah, I guess for Jeff Bezos, it's like, I'm worth $180 billion. I want to be worth $360 billion. I mean, at what I mean, this guy, I I try I have to be very careful with my words. I try to be, but what 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 drives him anymore? I mean, that the fact he won't speak against China, it's not Alibaba hates him. He can't sell his products in China. I guess he wants to be able to sell them eventually. Yeah, I, you know that's it's as far as I know that would be my best guess. That's um, good. Yeah, well informed. He, he, you know, the guy is just apparently appears to be driven by you know just power and ego. Um, you know, and it, it it's kind of telling where his morals are when you look at his charitable giving or lack thereof. Uh, <laughs> he's not tithing or anything close to it. He's like under one percent, um, and so yeah. he doesn't seem driven by morals at all. He just seems driven by money, power, and ego. And that's that's dangerous when you have someone that powerful is driven by that toxic combination. I've talked about this with many people. Chris Buzzkirk from American Greatness. I've been inspired by Tucker Carlson on this, where Bezos is different than J.P. Morgan Chase and John D. Rockefeller because they actually loved America. They had a ton of money, obviously, but they loved America. He hates our country, and he's just able to continue to amass literally $180 billion. I have one question that I want to get to your book in the couple minutes we have remaining. I'm looking at uh, Elizabeth Warren's tweet here. It says, Mark Zuckerberg's emails confirm Facebook brought Instagram to buy off competition. Bezos couldn't guarantee that Amazon wasn't using seller data to undermine small businesses. Apple and Google couldn't answer why they bully their competitors. Robert Reich, similar. Was there any agreement here between the right and the left that maybe these companies shouldn't be more powerful than our government? Was there a synergy possibly that was there? Um, you, you know, there was some of it that, you know, because like there are a few Republicans who have been good about it. You look at, you know, Matt Gates has been good, good about calling out these, these antitrust issues. Um, so there was a bit of that, but, um, you know, it, it, it did seem like a lot of the Republicans seemed to care you know, and again, the, the political bias thing is so, so important, but it can't be only that. Um, and it can't be, yes, I that can't be, you're, you're probably not calling out the antitrust issue because it has to be both. They're, they're, you know, two sides of the same coin. You're, you're right. Yes. 
Yeah, I see that. I see some of these guys that will, they use the anti-bias as kind of like, I'll pay the toll. Yeah. And, and but they, they won't be bold enough to say, oh, maybe it's not a good thing that Google's more powerful than the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and it, it's really kind of, uh, uh, they're doing a disservice to their constituents who actually care about these issues to just give the passing uh yeah the passing mention of bias and what's also frustrating is they're not even good about talking about bias you know uh you had uh uh you know one congressman asking why his emails were going to spam it's like man, that's not helping anybody that re- really is is not if you want it <laughs> that, that's just that believe it or not campaign emails oftentimes go to spam well, maybe because you're spam. Yeah, yeah. Maybe because they are actually you are spam. maybe because your message is spam. Yeah, um, yeah. It's well, and I, one of these guys, you know, they should have really they should have yielded their time to people like us that actually understand the platform. Um, I, I mean, one of these guys was asking Mark Zuckerberg about Twitter or something. I, I, am I mistaken here? No. Yeah, that like the, the ranking GOP member. Asked Mark Zuckerberg and dem- demanded an answer why the Donald Trump Jr. was suspended. And Mark Zuckerberg is like, "Well, that was Twitter. That wasn't us." And so that's kind of just the the it, it was like the a microcosm of like the issues with the Republican but, Party. Yeah, yeah you're, my gosh, is that what that is so well put? Where was Twitter? They they chickened out, man. They they wouldn't would not show up. And, you know, it's also telling that they wouldn't show up to defend themselves. And maybe that's because they didn't want to be put under oath. And, you know, if you look at like the last time uh, Jack Dorsey was under oath, he was asked, you know, if if you would apologize to uh, Megan McCain for, for you know, not taking down death threats against her. And he said he would under oath. He said he would. And then he he didn't. Months went by. Months went by. Months went by. And he didn't. And um, and it took like six months for him to keep a simple promise like that. And so that's kind of you know I imagine that was was like part of the the issues that take, uh, Twitter and and Jack Dorsey don't want to have to keep their word, and so they don't want to you know have to give their word under oath. And so I, I think they just said you know screw it, we'll, we'll skip the whole thing. Yeah. So. Your book is called The Manipulators, right? Tell us about it. Tell us how people can purchase it and learn more because you're you're on this issue. I grew up in the conservative movement that believed in fundamentalist free market dogma that now I have come to now understand that it was funded by the very companies that don't want to be touched so that they can remake America in their ridiculous image. And they have more. They have more power than our government. They work harder, and they have more technology. And I'm very worried about it. Tell us about your book. Yeah. So you know, the it's basically like the one of the biggest untold stories of the Trump era is just how these companies have really just been um, turned against conservatives like never before. And I think a, a lot of that can be traced back to Trump winning in 2016, because that was the moment that the institutional left realized that they had lost control of the American thought process. Um, you know, because mm-hmm. it used to be, you know, you'd have the few major newspapers and you know, the handful of networks, 
And they could, they really just had a stranglehold over what people could see and hear and read and therefore a stranglehold over what they thought. And one of the reasons social media has been great for the conservative movement, uh, or, or, you know, one of the reasons it, it, it is, is a threat to the institutional left is because it allows conservatives to really outflank the left and just, you know, and people can spread the message themselves to their, to their mom, yeah, to their neighbor. Exactly to, right. Yes. So that uh, Trump's election really was uh, just a, a shock to the institutional left, especially the ones in Silicon Valley. And that is why we've seen this, you know, this whole panic about misinformation online and uh, hate speech. And it's all about tightening control over what people say online because they want the only things you can say online uh, to be what they believe. And maybe they'll have like the token Republican, but essentially they want the internet to look like an MSNBC panel. You know, you have like 80% left and then the one like token Republican, like a max. Yeah. Who's... Yeah, or who's like George Scarborough and he hates half the country anyway. Yeah, and, and so just this kind of rigged game. Um, and so, so that's really what we've seen. And, I, and as I show in the book, uh, these companies are, are top to bottom staffed by left-wing radicals who not only hate large swaths of, of America, a lot of them hate America itself. Uh, and, and, that, and these are the people who are deciding what you can say online uh you know there, there's one kind of just mind-boggling anecdote that I, I talk about in there where uh, uh google employees it, you know, it's 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 like the the worst excesses of you know campus radicalism which i know you've fought against all those same like safe space crybabies are now at google facebook and twitter exactly. they eventually had to graduate uh, and and so to, to give an example of that, it was uh, there was an internal Google presentation where someone used the word, an executive used the word uh, family friendly to 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 refer to something uh, to like mean child friendly, um, and there was this internal uproar because Google employees without kids were offended that they weren't considered a family and. One person said, well, you know, my family is you know, me and my four like polyamorous roommates and we count as a family, too. And just this, you know, like the, the same people you would see melting down over a Ben Shapiro speech are now at Google melting down over a Ben Shapiro Facebook post. And th these are the people who are wielding the levers of, of, of power at these companies. And as I show in the book, you know, these companies are really... They've, they've, on the one hand, they've been gradually tightening what you can say, but they've been smart in that they haven't done it too quickly. And so they can really just, you know, gaslight people and just say, well, you know, uh, it's Facebook isn't that different today than it was yesterday. And yesterday wasn't that different than it was two days ago. And then, but if you look at it on a scale of months or years, it's it's a radically different platform because of the way that they're tinkering with their algorithms, and because of who's tinkering with their algorithms, and it, it really man if if uh, Democrats take power in uh, the election, it's going to get much worse because one of the few things keeping these companies from just entirely deplatforming conservative thought is is the fact that there are at least some 
conservatives in power, Trump's in the White House. But they will lose any such fear of that if, uh, yeah. if you know, if you have a, 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 a you know wholesale democratic government, get rid. It's going to be pretty rough. And yeah, it, I agree. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, check out his book, The Manipulators. You can uh, follow him on social media, Peter J. Hassan. And he does great work at the band website, dailycaller.com. So make that your homepage and screw Google. Stop taking money from Google, Republicans. Or... All right. Thank you so much for having me on, Charlie. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. Talk to you soon. Thank you. You're what a great episode that was with Peter. Hassan from The Daily Caller, please consider supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support. Email us directly at freedom at charliekirk.com. Get in the running to win a signed copy of the New York Times bestseller, The MAGA Doctrine. Type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star review. Screenshot it and email us at freedom at charliekirk.com. And send me your story of social media censorship. I might profile it on an upcoming episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. God bless. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.